Are you looking to get your love life together? You're tired of not having the tools or community you need to navigate these dating and relationship streets. Well, honey, let's take some accountability, do our work and be in the place to reap all the benefits. I invite you to become a Love Lady member and officially join the Match Mary Mate community. You can choose your specific dating and relationship package to work with me. You'll have access to digital resources, video trainings, coaching content, course materials, and even the opportunity to live stream with me with certain packages. If this sounds like something you want, be sure to join today because I'd love to have you. Visit coachjoyce.com to get started. I want to see your face in the play. Greetings, love bugs. Welcome to the Match Mary Mate Show, where I discuss topics and issues to support Black women with self-love, femininity and womanhood, and their own personal love lives. I also share content meaningful to Black couples, partnered or married, and every blue moon, I address the fellas. I'm your host, your girl, Joyce Robinson Myers, and this is a special episode to discuss male violence against women in general, but you know, we always center Black women on the Match Mary Mate Show. There will not be any affirmations or journal entry segments today. Instead, I want to tell you a story and share my latest essay on the topic. We're all aware by now about the woman who was hit with the brick by a man for rejecting his advances. I'm not covering the story, nor am I getting into any of the details, as it's been talked about enough. However, I do want to situate that story with an event in my own life. Before we dive in, I want you to remember that you can share any secret story with me. So I invite you to story time where you can drop your truths and I'll spill my tea on a secret story episode right here on the Match Mary Make Show. Of course, you can share anonymously, so no need to hold back. And y'all know what I want. I want the tea, the juice, the beans, the whole nine yards. You can copy the link in the show notes of this episode, and I'll respond in a future podcast episode, but nobody will know it was you. Now, I say this every episode. And I'm going to say it again, but it really has a different gravity today. So as you already know, I want to aid in the healing of gender relations between Black women and Black men, because I am learning through my coaching practice that when we have the proper relationship education, and that includes instruction, application, and support, but maybe today I should expand that to also include correction and call-outs, bringing that to the forefront of the conversation. But I am learning that when we have these things, it often produces safer, happier, smarter, and more stable dating decisions that improve the quality of our relationships as we enter the dating market to match, marry, and mate. It is my hope that today's show gives you more of a reality check with male violence against women 
and in particular, the violence from Black men that Black women have had to suffer. I see Black people as one people, as a people who should care for each other, woman, man, child, and the creator of all three. What is going on in the mind of a Black man where being violent against the women of your own people is so commonplace? I want us to do better. The onus is not on Black women to fix this social ill, though in true Black girl magic fashion, we'll likely steer efforts in the right direction, even when we shouldn't have to. But seriously, has our historical displacement and oppression affected us so much? Has misogyny and corrupt patriarchy seeped so badly into the hearts and minds of our own men that they would dare to be violent against us? Do nothing to stand for the good morale of our people. It's less about needing the protection of Black men at this point as they're scared of each other too in some regard. So many social media clips and other takes have revealed that. It's more about a redirection. If men, regardless of race, could redirect themselves away from and against violence to women, the protection screamed about wouldn't be as necessary. Because why, y'all? Black love matters to me, even though it's very difficult to hold space for in light of these types of events. But Black love matters, and we're in much need of some Black family power restoration and apparently some Black harmony, too. Happening at about the same time as the Brick story, I was due to share my latest work with my writing group. My story was supposed to address a moral dilemma or departure we'd faced in our lives. It wasn't about male violence at all, but my moral departure arrived with male violence. So it all became relevant at some point. My battle was between my psychology and morality. And in that, I realized that my morality could not compete and how new that was for me at 33. So content warning and trigger warning here if you haven't already picked up on where I'm going today. However, I can assure you that I do not mention many details or any gore. Still, if you need to skip this episode for your own mental health, this is your cue. In me sharing my piece, the women who were in my writing group encouraged me to publicly share my story. It did not take long to see several videos on social media declaring to protect Black women, and that outcry was difficult for me. Not because Black women do not deserve protection, because we do, but because I fear that that's the wrong message, which ties directly to my essay. So I wrote a post on Threads. And it reads, protect Black women carries the reality that we continue being harmed. Perhaps the outcry should be stop attacking Black women or punish violent men. 
this kind of protection isn't as necessary when men cease their constant attacks. And I do understand what most mean when they are screaming, protect Black women. I, again, I'm just a little nervous that underneath the we need the protection carries with it a message for men to continue to be violent. And I want to clean that up. Now, even though I was somewhat embarrassed to share my story, it became obvious to me that I should share it. And more importantly, that it was time to share it. So here it goes. This piece is called, This Was the Moment. Domestic violence is a term that burns me, like the word slave makes me cringe. In authentic American form, it places shame on the victim, not the perp, and on the oppressed, not the oppressor. Did you know that America is the most dangerous country for women when it comes to gun violence? The American patriarchy and its unrelenting audacity. Domestic is a notion usually assigned to women, suggesting that domestic violence is an issue that belongs to us. As if we're responsible for most of the world's violence. I detest the term domestic violence. And apparently, I'm not alone. In recent years, the term intimate partner terrorism has been offered as an alternative. Though better, it's ambiguous on which partner is the terrorist. Spare me the small percentage of women who resort to violence as it mostly responds to male violence. There we have it, male violence, the most accurate description for crimes against women by their male partners. When we read news stories of domestic violence homicide, the question is usually, why didn't she leave? Amazingly, no one asks, why was he violent? That question includes its own issues because it guarantees that many men would point to female behavior as if it was a payment for their own deaths. The question should be, why couldn't he stop his violence? Or better, why was he ever violent? As an organizer activist, Hamish Sinclair noticed the gender divide. It is men who are violent, he says. Even the few women who are violent are most often responding to male violence, he confirms. A subliminal message behind these truths is that if women want to protect themselves from violent men, they should also become violent. Sinclair argues that this is the wrong way to a solution, that women do not need to learn violence, but men need to unlearn it. Not to disappoint Sinclair, but I chose violence. It was November 2018, and the emotional temperature was dropping from cool to cold, weeks away from recognizing a double anniversary, 13 years of marriage on the 18th and 14 years together on the 19th, respectively. I wondered if my heart could wax on. A series of events occurred throughout the past year and had recently escalated. 
The kind of events that appear on a danger assessment when domestic violence advocates assess if a woman and her children are the closest to their deaths by her male partner. I was conscious of where these events could lead, so this was the moment I started remixing my routine and undergoing preparation. One of those events is sudden, unfounded suspicion of your behavior, especially with other men. Anyone who knows me, as he did, knows I am the female version of a ladies' man. I have a way with men, and because I am aware of how my energy can be perceived, I am discerning, discreet, and intentional. But this wasn't that. My mama warned me to be cautious of any man who accused me of behavior I had not done. It's usually his guilty conscience projecting onto you, she says. A year prior, there was an incident with another woman. It was seemingly innocent, so I gave my due diligence and moved on. Later, I asked him to end his connection with her. He told me no, insisting that only guilty people make that move, and he was blameless. His response was against an agreement made years earlier, so I wanted him to pay. Besides, his newly erratic behavior triggered my mother's warning, and this was the moment. I wondered who was more right, him or her. True to female form, I began to emotionally vacate as women tend to leave before they leave, and I'm guilty activating my moral cloud and great dilemma. In times past, once I'd emotionally left, I was done, though my loyalty remained until fully dissolved. I know the people who say you're married until you're not, and I agree, but we must remember to leave space for when one part of our lives does not mirror the other parts. What does that mean? How do we reconcile? And what shall we do with ourselves in the meantime? I realize we hold current day opinions, but in the real time thick and fog, a moral cloud darkens above our heads and influences our responses or behavior. This was the moment I understood never say never. His unusual jealousy and suspicion, two markers of pending violence, had reached an all time high and he demanded that I end my connections. Naturally, I became alarmed and started my own investigation of sorts. This was the moment I learned that the law is not designed to prevent crime, at least not for women in relationships with men, but to react to it. I'd have to wait until he actually attacked me, it seemed. With the same energy and echo he uttered to me, I said, no. I knew it would incite him and pushed back anyway. My ego chose the challenge as if I welcomed his violence instead of cowering or acquiescing to spare my life. I would not live in fear and I refused to participate in inequity. I'd rather die. So I said no again, even after he asked, what did you say? This was the moment. I knew that marriage was forever dead, that I would never come back from his hypocritical question or him from my defiant answer. He stormed out and began to engineer what would become his plan of attack. A week later, he held me at gunpoint, demanding answers to questions I refused. 
One of his questions carried extra sting as if he double dog dared me to say no with the deadly weapon drawn between my eyes. I chose violence and told him no again. So we scrapped and I won. Who did he think he was? Who did he think I was? Years later, I read that women sometimes wait to have a rationalization to end a marriage that anyone could understand. Perhaps I plotted that on a subconscious level. I've owned a moral code that I've lived by since a teen, and he was aware. Never pay twice. It's similar to Double Jeopardy. In fact, the 1999 film of the same name is one of my favorite girl power movies. And I often see myself in Libby Parsons. Seeped in moral fuzziness, I began to ask, what do I do now? I'd paid for an affair I never had. And that burned a rage of fury in my soul because I don't pay twice. I dialed the courthouse on that Monday morning. They informed me that family issues were handled on Tuesdays. I could call back then for my protection order and divorce proceedings. This was the moment I learned that male violence against women in the home is considered a private family matter rather than the crime that it is. I made two calls that Tuesday morning. The first to the same clerk of court to learn my legal instructions. The second, to a gentleman, I was once told to cut communication. In that call, I was brief and pointed. I'm still a little beat up and sore, but since I've already paid for this imagined affair, I say we make good on it because I'm not paying twice. It was settled. This was the moment. I realized my unwavering loyalty dies with blatant dishonor and expected inequity. Not that that's an excuse, but it is how we got here. We never made it to November 18th or 19th for any anniversary together. But on November 19th, 2018, another domestic episode happened, causing me to never forget while memorializing a different kind of anniversary. Miles away from me in the Windy City, the 19th became the day that Dr. Tamira O'Neill was fatally shot by her ex-lover. She called off her engagement. Basically, she told him no, and he killed her along with two others. Why do men, I'm sorry, some men, have a problem being told no? This was the moment I understood it could have been me. Same month, same year, similar story, her death, my divorce. Yes, I was married despite my pending filing. I am not always proud of this, though sometimes I am, but I justified it refusing to live with paying for something never received. Selfishly, I chose me. Thankfully, it was the best sex of my life then. I knew that either his attack or my sin would revisit me in years to come. This was the moment I chose my sin. At least it was all paid and all mine. Thank you for listening. I must admit that I was somewhat embarrassed to share my story because I was concerned it wouldn't demonstrate 
the level of sensitivity I wanted to have for Black women who had suffered much more chronic and extended violence. And not just Black women, all women for that matter. I don't consider myself as a victim, not even as a survivor, but as a powerful woman with a single story. A woman whose husband works with women who have experienced male violence shared with me that my story needed to be told so that we could have more examples of women who are alive and free and not in bondage or dead, but particularly a story that shows a woman leaving after the first scenario. I never thought about it that way before. Here I was feeling a little bit sheepish that my situation did not cover enough ground. And here was this woman telling me that my story actually covered the ideal outcome. Her response fed into my reason to share my story on this platform. And the timing of the protect black women please pushed me to an urgency I didn't have before. It is my prayer that men cease their violence against women and are outcast and punished when they choose otherwise. I hope that male-centered women are canceled and that women can live lovingly and freely without the unsafe notions of men. That's it, and that's all. Thank you for joining me today and tuning into another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show. Until our next time together, love, light, and relationship. Remember, we grow as we go, and I'll be with you in the next episode. Cheers. Do you have a private or sensitive dating and relationship issue you want to chat with me about? Sometimes we all need a little TLC and one-on-one and I'm here for it. Here's what you want to do. Visit matchmarymate.com, click work with me and book your individual call. I cannot wait to meet you in the Zoom room, honey.